What's up? You're listening to Fork the Product. I'm your host, Nick Casares. And I'm your other host, Zach Cohen. Fork the Product is a podcast that explores the intersection of blockchain, product, and user experience. We interview founders and builders to understand how they're approaching problems in the blockchain space. The show is brought to you in part by Polyant Labs. Nick, can you talk for a second about Polyant? Sure. Polyant is a blockchain-focused, early-stage startup incubator. We're headquartered in Phoenix, Arizona. And I say we're because in my other life, I'm the director of product for Polyant. Long story short, we help founders bring their ideas to life by providing them with early-stage funding, mentoring, and support with things like development, design, and marketing services. If you're an entrepreneur or developer and you have a vision that you'd like to discuss with Polyant, visit our website at polyant.io. That's P-O-L-Y-I-E-N-T dot I-O for more information. Great. Thanks for your support, Polyant. Now on to today's show. In this episode, we speak with Devin Finzer, co-founder and CEO of OpenSea. Before OpenSea, Devin worked at Pinterest and Google and sold his previous company to Credit Karma. OpenSea is the world's largest digital marketplace for crypto collectibles and non-fungible tokens. Users can buy, sell, and discover exclusive digital assets like Gods Unchained cards, ENS names, crypto kitties, Decentraland plots, and much more. We discuss the evolution of OpenSea with Devin to understand how he and his team have succeeded in bringing together developers and users to create a thriving ecosystem centered around their marketplace for crypto collectibles. Enjoy. Devin, thanks so much for joining us on Fork the Product. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, and we are excited about the conversation today. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, excited to be here. I'd love it if you could give us the quick pitch for OpenSea and tell us a bit more about the project. Sure. So OpenSea is a marketplace for non-fungible tokens. Um, and so basically what that means is that you can go to OpenSea and you can put any of your digital assets on sale. And you can also purchase assets that are being sold from other users. So what that started as when we when we first kicked off OpenSea was just a third-party marketplace for CryptoKitties, which was kind of the first uh, NFT project in the space. And OpenSea was another place where you could buy and sell CryptoKitties. Um, what it's evolved uh, into over time is a place where you can buy and sell all sorts of digital assets. So now after CryptoKitties, there have been hundreds of games that leverage the ERC721 standard for non-fungible tokens. And there have also been other sorts of projects like ENS, which is a naming system built on Ethereum that leverage ERC721. And OpenSea allows you to trade all of these assets, even if um, there's no marketplace functionality built into the asset themselves. So a lot of games will build unique digital assets, but not have a way for users to buy and sell them. And that's kind of where OpenSea uh, comes into play. Super interesting. So I would love to hear a bit about your background and you know the evolution of you know, your history and how you came to work on OpenSea? So I started out my career as a software engineer. I was working at Pinterest um, and I learned a lot there. I learned a lot about kind of growing a, you know, mid-sized startup. And then I, I left Pinterest and started a company in the personal finance space that was very quickly acquired by a company called Credit Karma, um, which is a credit reporting app uh, in the U.S. 
And uh, around mid 2017, my co-founder Alex and I just sort of started getting interested in crypto. Um, but I suppose we're a little turned off by uh, how financial oriented it was. So um, how oriented around kind of speculation and financial use cases, blockchains, you know, were at the time. Um, but I think CryptoKitties was kind of this really exciting moment for us where a team built an, an app that was more oriented towards a consumer use case and kind of appealed to a more general audience. And that was really what um, got us excited enough to dive deeper into the space and really start a company around uh, decentralized technology. That's really awesome. So, so CryptoKitties was really the genesis for you guys. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And so you, you talked a little bit more about how it's it's evolved and you're looking at some different use cases and applications. So tell us a little bit more about maybe some of those moments, those inflection points with other projects or those aha moments where you said, oh, this is a great use case for uh, NFTs. How did this, uh, you know, how is it changing? How is it evolving? How did those relationships develop? Yeah. So I think the biggest question mark for us when we first started was what would be the rate of new NFT projects, like how much excitement would there be around CryptoKitties from the gaming community? And then secondarily, would there be projects that needed open marketplaces versus built their own vertically integrated marketplaces into the game? And that did happen um, really early on. So uh, in kind of a strange way, so there was the the one of the first projects that OpenSea became useful for was a project called Crypto Celebrities. And Crypto Celebrities was sort of an interesting economic experiment. It was what was called a hot potato game, which meant that you could purchase one of these items. So it was, a, um, it was basically a tradable um, celebrity trading card, right? And the moment you purchased it, it was on sale at a higher price uh, some increment of that purchase price. So then someone could come along and snatch it from you for that higher price. And then someone could come along and snatch it at, at yet another higher price. And so what that created was this kind of economic incentive to purchase it and resell it at some point in that transfer of the asset, right? Because you'd make a profit if you were able to, um, to resell it. So that what that meant was that some of these trading cards were selling for, you know, in some cases, hundreds of ether. And at that time, the price of ether was around $1,000. So it was kind of a crazy speculative bubble, um, you know, even comparable to uh, the CryptoKitties bubble. So the interesting thing that OpenSea provided for that market was while you could always sell for a higher price, it was impossible to sell for a lower price. So say you purchased a celebrity for 10 Ether, it's now on sale on the Crypto Celebrities website for 12 Ether, um, but maybe no one's buying it, um, but maybe there's someone who would take a, take a bet on it uh, at 6 Ether. And so OpenSea became basically the place where you could dump these uh, Crypto Celebrity assets and, and sell them at any price. Um, so that was kind of an interesting uh, first test case. We provided liquidity to this strange market that um, you know, had these rigid trading dynamics. Um, and uh, that's sort of where we gained our first uh, set of early adopter users. Now, after that, um, 
there were a lot of games that uh, were just sort of more traditional uh, digital assets and had no marketplace functionality. So there were very early trading card games, one of which was called Ethereum. There was a early RPG called Crypto Saga. Um, and then there was a project called Ether Tulips, which was um, uh, you know, obviously like buying tulips in the, in the tulip bubble. Um, so those early projects, um, what was interesting was, you know, people would discover that they could trade them on OpenSea. And then because there was such a bleed over between the people trying these uh, various projects, um, the uh, users would would discover OpenSea in these various communities and and tell them, tell any new projects that, that they could be traded on OpenSea. So that was kind of how we grew. And, and that's what gave us the signal that, you know, this was something interesting to pursue. So once you, you uh, kind of identified that initial use case with crypto celebrities and, and in terms of creating liquidity for these kind of specialized use cases, what was your process for extrapolating that into some sort of market hypothesis? Was it pretty organic or were you fairly methodical about it? I would say it was pretty organic. I think, um, yeah, the the thesis became, um, and you know, we're still certainly evaluating this uh, hypothesis that uh, you know there will be a long tail of assets that build um, the, that that need marketplace functionality um, without necessarily building that themselves, and that 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 the marketplace can be kind of this reusable component. Um, that doesn't necessarily need to in, in traditional centralized assets, every marketplace is pretty much vertically integrated, right? There's a marketplace for each individual game. There's a marketplace for tickets. uh, And then there are sometimes these, these third party marketplaces, but they tend to uh, be difficult to scale across asset classes. Um, And that was what was really exciting for us was that for the first time it was kind of possible to build a more eBay style uh, experience for the digital world because you had um, standards and uh, and APIs for digital asset ownership that were not, uh, you know, couldn't be switched off or changed by an individual project. Um, so yeah, I would say it was it was kind of an organic process uh, where you know we we continued just just growing the website. And then the, um, you know, the, the mission and, and thesis has remained roughly the same over time. And as you continue working with new projects or finding new projects in the wild that look like they would be a great use case for this sort of decentralized marketplace, are, do you have any kind of um, formal or informal approach that you take to validate that with these projects or kind of you know, put a toe in the water or a litmus test, if you will, to see if it's a good fit? Yeah, so our philosophy is we make our tools pretty much available to anyone. So today, if you had an ERC-721 or ERC-1155, which is the new standard on the block for uh, non-fungible tokens, you could go and set up your OpenSea storefront today um, and start you know, trading these things, right? So it is a completely self-serve process. Um, that being said, uh, you know, if... If you want to be featured on the OpenSea homepage and sidebar, that's where we uh, do a lot of vetting of the project and ensure that you know this is something interesting that we should actually surface to our users. 
Um, when we were first starting out, we were kind of scrambling to get any NFT project, uh, you know, shown on our sidebar. Now we have a much higher bar for which ones we think are are like worthy of what we call whitelisting, right? So um, whitelisting basically means it's a, a category that will show up somewhere on on OpenSea. Um, uh, so so yeah, so that's that's kind of the philosophy is make the tools available to everyone, but then only really um, feature projects that we think are are worth featuring. Interesting. And so with these whitelisted projects, uh, can you share a little bit of the thought process behind, you know, the, the, the criteria essentially for vetting these projects? So the main criteria is, does the, does the project have, um, you know, users that are excited about it, right? So we look at, do they have a community of users? That's obviously not a stringent requirement. Some of these projects are early enough that they haven't built a big community, but um, you know, is there something unique about the project? Is it, if it's a game, typically we just say, you know, is there actually a game to be played here or is this up to someone you know, trying to sell assets for a game that may or may not come to fruition in the future? Um, and then if it's something a little more uh, out there that's, that's not in the gaming space, we'll, we'll look at like, um, does this project have a following and does it have interest from, from early users. Um, but we're, you know, we're, we're pretty open to projects that are early on, but are, are doing interesting things, uh, in the space and kind of like, uh, adding another layer to digital assets in some capacity. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like it's pretty early in the, in the evolution of NFTs to really try to you know pick winners based on maybe even traditional like user engagement metrics at this point i think the interesting factor is definitely high in my mind when i'm looking at these things yeah yeah i i would love if you could maybe expand a little bit on the difference uh between erc 721 and erc 1155 as you know the standards but also how you're thinking about them strategically um you know for OpenSea. So to clarify the difference between the two, um, ERC-721 was the first standard. Uh, it was pioneered by CryptoKitties, and it basically created a way to uh, represent unique digital assets on a smart contract. So before ERC-721, there was, of course, ERC-20, which represented currencies. And you can think of ERC-20 as, from a code perspective, sort of a mapping um, between addresses and uh, integers, right? And those integers represent how much of a token a user owns. And then there's, of course, functions for transferring those tokens around. And ERC-721 is simply a mapping from a address to a list of unique identifiers, where each of those unique identifiers represents, say, a CryptoKitty, and then the data um, to actually display that CryptoKitty, so the image, name, description, is typically stored off-chain. So you'll have the unique identifier of that CryptoKitty on-chain, and then you'll have the metadata off-chain. Um, so that's ERC-721. ERC-721 has been around technically since uh, 20, late 2017 um, and has kind of solidified into a proper standard that's supported by um, Open Zeppelin. Uh, which is a, sort of a library for Solidity contracts. Now, ERC-1155 
adds an interesting wrinkle on that. So ERC-1155 says, well, you know, there are these uh, unique digital assets, but there are also kind of assets that are pretty much the same. So if you think about a trading card game, um, you know, maybe you have a, uh, sorry, a warrior card, um, and all of the warrior cards are all, you know, roughly the same, the same item, right? And so 1155 allows you to say this user owns 10 warrior cards. This other user owns five warrior cards, and those can kind of be treated as fungible within a, a category of things, right? So the trading interface on OpenSea, which we, we actually just recently launched, looks somewhat different for those, we'll call them semi-fungible assets, right? You would see the warrior card asset, and then you'd see sort of somewhat something of an order book for um, those assets, as opposed to when you have a unique digital asset, you just see a um, one sale for that particular item. Um, so that's kind of the difference. And then in terms of strategy, I think, um, you know, OpenSea uh, is, uh, we think that the 1155 standard is uh, super valuable. Um, uh, we think that there are use cases for these semi-fungible assets. Uh, so that's one of the reasons we um, worked really hard to support it. And we'll continue supporting it, I think, uh, for... Um, assets that are, are simpler in nature and are just are more, more similar to CryptoKitties, ERC-721 works well. Um, but ultimately, you know, it's possible there may be convergence around the 1155 standard as it does allow for um, all of the functionality in 721 as well. Uh, so we're, we're not, um, uh, we're, we don't endorse uh, 1155 over 11, uh, over 721, but we're certainly excited about, um, it, you know, being used by new projects. Yeah. I think the NFT, um, semi fungible tokens, uh, I've seen all sorts of fascinating blog posts about, um, refungible tokens. I think there's like kind of an endless space of opportunity when it comes to, fungibility. And so I guess I wonder, you know, you guys have really impressive investors and uh, surely they're sort of pushing you guys to think about market size and creating a business. So how do you prioritize what your target market or target markets are and pursue that and ensure that you're focusing on those right target markets? So the philosophy that we've had over the last year, um, for better or for worse, has been to serve the early ecosystem as well as we can with by providing the best marketplace for this new class of digital assets and then help the ecosystem grow and hopefully grow as a company alongside the ecosystem. So that approach... I think it's it's one approach you can take. Um, other folks are taking very different approaches, right? So other companies are taking the approach of let's be the best blockchain game and uh, you know make it a significant attempt to push this industry forward. You know, sort of just ourselves, right? By building all of the pieces of the blockchain game and um, getting it completely ready for consumers to. Uh, onboard into and play. Um, that has not been 
our approach has been much more serve the existing market. Um, and I think what that means is we, we do have to be, um, somewhat careful about, uh, or, or, or our success is, is somewhat dependent on the growth of the NFT market, right? And, um, while we can certainly provide tools that help folks to accelerate that, um, ultimately, like the, the timing of that growth is, uh, there, there's some uncertainty around that. Uh, and, um, you know, basically as a, as a company, we have to remain lean and ensure that we're not sort of going to, uh, die as a company before, before that happens. Um, but I do think that, uh, the exciting thing about that position is that we have developed a, a very strong brand within the early NFT market. Uh, and we're pretty connected to all of the projects that are, are building interesting things. And we're starting to become more of a, a critical piece of infrastructure for any project that's building unique digital assets. So as time goes on and the quality of the project goes up, um, the number of experiments in, increases and the uh, user onboarding gets better and better. I think um, OpenSea will hopefully continue to play an interesting role there and um, be able to build a, a business out of that as well. Devin, anybody in the, in the space at this point realizes that the ecosystem as a whole is up against uh, some interesting UX challenges with regards to user onboarding and ongoing adoption, and even helping people just navigate through uh, building foundational understanding and, and even you know modeling some of these concepts uh, for them. You, OpenSea has uh, a great UX. You know, I, I've used the interface. I, I love browsing things on the site. I'm curious what the process has been for OpenSea as you work through some of these challenges and you know, what are you doing to, to navigate those challenges both within OpenSea, your product, but also making sure that you're creating kind of an open ecosystem that, that you know, you're fostering great user experience for all of the people that are uh, projects that are coming to the marketplace? Yeah, so I think we've, we've taken, or, or our perspective is um, there's, there's a spectrum of how much you want to expose blockchain to users, right? So on one hand, uh, and, and there's that, that spectrum comes with all of these interesting trade-offs. So on one hand, there's projects that say, and, and a number of projects have launched this way that say, okay, you know, users don't want to have to worry about blockchain. So let's just abstract everything away, build hosted wallets, username, password, sign up. Uh, everything is kind of taken care of under the hood and you don't even know that you're owning an NFT. Uh, and so you don't have to go through like the, maybe you can buy with Fiat, you don't have to go through the Coinbase flow, you don't have to download MetaMask, you're sort of saving users all these times. Now that's that's cool, um, or that's interesting, but at the end of the day, um, you sort of could have built that same user experience without having used the blockchain. And where blockchain becomes really interesting is when you have interoperability between different applications, right? So with CryptoKitties, for example, I can purchase a CryptoKitties, a CryptoKitty, put it in my MetaMask and immediately go to OpenSea and see it in my account and put it on sale. And that's a pretty magic moment for anyone who's new to the ecosystem, right? They now have access not only to CryptoKitties, but to any apps that have built on top of CryptoKitties and any marketplaces 
that are allowing people to trade these digital assets. So for us, um, interoperability with apps is critical, right? Because we don't have our own game. Um, and so we have to essentially make it as easy as possible for people who have assets from our partner games or, or any game that has ERC721 uh, able to quickly sell on OpenSea. So we can't go and do something extreme and say everyone gets a hosted wallet um, because of the friction of transferring an asset into that hosted wallet would actually be higher than, um, you know, actually just using what's out there. So MetaMask, uh, you know, now there's, there's several other wallets that are coming online that, um, you know, attempt to solve some of the UX challenges of MetaMask. So the way we, we view it is we, um, sort of play into the, all of the infrastructure that's being built out in the decentralized app world, which is, admittedly very early. Um, but we're, you know, we would, it would be very unlikely for us to build our own wallet. Um, we're super excited about, um, all of the wallet improvements that are being built right now. And we want to take advantage of that as much as possible, which is why we've built out support for, um, you know, things like Formatic, Portis, Bitsky, Dapper wallet, uh, as opposed to building our own solution. Um, and then we, we, uh, you know, we strive to um, build as as much of a frictionless experience as we can while preserving the um, what we think is really unique about blockchain, which is this interoperability um, and ability to sell uh, any asset on Ethereum. Um, so that's kind of our our approach there. I you know read through your website and saw. Um, a lot about, like I read through your values and I think the sort of open development concept is um, fantastic and clearly you've spoken to that throughout this conversation. Um, but you've also mentioned how lean the team is. So I'm curious to understand how you approach community development given how important that is and you know, understanding how you keep in touch with uh, what seems like a pretty diverse array of different populations that you're catering to and how do you approach that given the how lean that the team is that you work with one of the really interesting things we've discovered about the blockchain space is that um, you can operate as a very small team and leverage uh, the interoperability of smart contracts to do a lot of your business development and uh, partnership work with other companies so what i mean by that is um, you know, basically, as I mentioned, all you have to do to use OpenSea today as a, a company building a game or an NFT project is just, you know, go to our developer docs and integrate with us, right? You don't have to necessarily communicate with us. Uh, you can, we, in most cases, we do like to set up a communication channel, but this is, you know, that's kind of the power of smart contracts, right? Is you can immediately plug into them. Um, without anyone having to give you permission to do so. So we can have, over time, we can have thousands of teams building on OpenSea, um, you know, without OpenSea ever having to uh, set up an integration with any of those teams. Um, but I, I think one of the interesting things about um, the blockchain space is it's incredibly uh, collaborative. So we have probably over 100 Telegram or Discord channels with games that are building things. Actually, you know, 
probably in the 200 range uh, at this point with projects that are, are building NFTs and are learning how to work with this technology and integrate with OpenSea. Um, and this, it's a very real-time communication with both of those third-party projects as well as with our users. So our users are incredibly active in Discord. They're constantly giving us uh, feedback about the product. Uh, and we have this kind of like direct line of communication with everyone who's using OpenSea. Um, so I think it's, that's something that I've never really encountered uh, in any other space. I think it's a testament to, number one, that this is uh, kind of still in the early adopter phase where your users are these or power user technologist folks who are willing to, you know, join your discord and get their hands dirty. Um, but then number two, I think there is something unique about the blockchain space that, um, uh, you know, fosters a, a little more openness and uh, collaboration between lots of folks all over the world, uh, which is you know, pretty exciting to see. Man, I could dive into like a million different questions because there are so many interesting things that you just brought up, but uh, I will restrain myself and I guess uh, pick it up a level and I guess get a, a sense from you as to how you view OpenSea as a business and, you know, how how are you prioritizing, you know, the company and long-term uh, sustainability of OpenSea as a company so that you can continue to serve all of the potential use cases that you know you've talked through already. If I could add just a little more color on that, are there particular problems along those lines that you're working through as a business right now? Yeah, I think uh, one challenge for us has been um, how much do we focus on the core? So as a as a small team. Um, how much do we focus on sort of the core marketplace experience, um, you know, focusing on building the best UI for OpenSea, uh, the, the best, uh, you know, first party consumer experience versus focusing on providing a suite of developer tools that allow people to, you know, maybe build their own marketplace on OpenSea, right, or, and, and with their own UI uh, leveraging our APIs. I think there is a, a concrete trade-off there, right? One is, you know, the approach of this is a consumer app. Let's, let's build the best possible first party experience. The other is let's go super open and, uh, try to get as many developers to build their own experiences on top of OpenSea. Um, we've sort of been balancing those. I think, uh, we are attempting to make the OpenSea proper website the best marketplace, um, and we're we're gradually uh, getting closer and closer to that to the, the goal where where this um, you know this is something that every project it makes sense to use, um, and then we're also providing some developer tools um, for folks to build their own marketplaces, and in fact, a good number of developer tools. Um, but I think that's been that's been a, a challenge as a business, um, like. And I think our, our leanings currently are, um, you know, it is important to have this first party experience that is really the best in breed marketplace for the space. Um, because, you know, that's, that's sort of an, an interesting foothold in the market, right? 
Um, if you're a place where a lot of people are coming to buy and sell and to view and, and to explore dApps, then that makes it uh, more exciting for projects to integrate with you. Um, and then in terms of, I think the other challenge for us as a business is, of course, how do we um, monetize OpenSea? Currently, we take a, a 2.5% transaction fee. Um, but I think there are, this is an area where um, I'm actually personally very optimistic and very excited that we'll discover uh, there will be a number of, of business models that uh, suit OpenSea well. Um, one of those could be transaction fees, although, you know, there is, um, you know, there, there is a belief in the um, community around decentralized apps that transaction fees will ultimately um, be very low. Um, but there's all sorts of other ideas. So um, uh, promoting listings using um, by, by paying a little extra or um, an advertising model for uh, developers, things like that. And I think why, one of the reasons I'm so excited about it is because all of these, uh, you, all of these business models are very native to the blockchain space, right? You have this uh, progr programmable money that um, you, can, you can do anything with and you can create uh, all sorts of interesting ways to monetize a, a website. Um, and, and you can experiment really quickly with those ways. Whereas, you know, back in sort of uh, web 2.0 payment infrastructure, experimenting with a new business model uh, might be very cumbersome in, in web three where, um, you know, you, you immediately have access to these wallets and, and ways to uh, collect payments. Experimenting in that area is, is a lot more, uh, you can, you can iterate a lot more quickly. Absolutely. Especially in what, what I think is, and you alluded to this earlier, but what is kind of a hyper collaborative environment. Um, it's much easier to start trying those things. If we can turn the conversation just a little bit, you you talked quite a bit about as you're moving forward, having to prioritize efforts, right? And where you take the balance of your people skills and put them against these problems. So I'm curious, based on your experience with the team today that you have, what are the kinds of skills that product teams need to be thinking about either in aggregate or at the individual level in order to be able to ship awesome products and figure out how to prioritize these things as it pertains to decentralized apps? One of the challenges of the decentralized app world, you know, compared to a more traditional startup ecosystem like, you know, enterprise SaaS or something like that, right, is there's a lot more ambiguity around timing and underlying infrastructure, right? So um, there's, there's a lot of exciting open questions in the DAP world. So, you know, will Ethereum be a chain that uh, supports DeFi projects or will it be a chain that also supports um, more consumer projects like, like games and things like that? Or, or will other chains sort of come along and, and serve those use cases, right? So how important, for example, is it to abstract over um, many different blockchains? A lot of dApps have started to do this, but um, the, you know, we, haven't, we definitely have not seen the same level of traction that uh, we've seen on Ethereum in projects like EOS or Tron. Um, so there's, point being, there's a lot of um, moving pieces underneath the hood that I think dApps need to consider when, um, when, you know, building something in this space. Uh, the other, uh, piece is just timing, right? So, um, you know, what are sort of the first 
use cases for uh, decentralized apps and um, you know what will be the use cases uh, two to three and then 10 years down the line and how can you sort of position your company to be a critical piece of infrastructure or a critical play a critical role in that trend, right? So we believe, I guess NFTs is an interesting example. The NFT market is is very early. Even folks in the crypto sphere um, have sort of turned away from it um, and focused more on DeFi. Um, but that being said, like if you look at um, you know where uh, Ethereum was pre uh, ICO speculation speculative craziness. Um, that was sort of the beginning of the ERC-20 standard. The, the ERC-20 standard took a long time to mature. And we think similarly, um, you know, standards around NFTs and infrastructure around NFTs takes a little while to mature, but um, there you know, is a huge opportunity for growth there. So I think th- having that sort of long-term, you know, medium to long-term view on what things will actually be interesting to build is a challenge that uh, is is pretty unique to this space. You've been working on OpenSea for, I guess, since November 2017. So you've been around for a while and you've confronted a lot of the challenges. You've been through, you know, the ups and downs of the crypto market. What are the things that keep you up at night and what would be some of the lessons that you would impart to other projects that may be entering the space or, you know, relatively new to the space? Yeah, so I think in terms of things that keep me up at night, I think um, you know there it's it's definitely a, a big challenge to or it's exciting and challenging to build a company in a very early nascent space, right? So the you know the market risk is is substantial um, when taking a bet on a brand new technology in a brand new industry. That being said, of course, the I think the upside is um, is, is particularly exciting, right? This is um, a new frontier, and uh, you know it, it's it's a lot more exciting to me than you know going to an existing um, you know software as a service or something like that, and just building a, a standard Web 2.0 product. Um, but yeah, I think I think timing is probably the biggest thing that that keeps me up at night. In terms of um, lessons learned, I think uh, you know I've witnessed very different um, approaches to building decentralized apps, and we we have you know we have seen um, a, a number of companies leave the space, uh, and I think there are some definitely some interesting lessons to be learned from that. One of which is I think. Um, when building in a brand new uh, space, there's you sort of have to have a, a, a level of comfort with the earliness of the market that uh, you know allows you to build for the long term as opposed to um, sort of looking too deeply at at short term metrics. So, for example. Um, you know, in the early days of decentralized apps, one could um, look at the decentralized app market and you know try to build a product and say, well, no one's really using this. There's not that many people uh, with MetaMask and Sol. There's not many people excited about dApps, and then kind of give up and and leave the space. You know, sort of with the uh, conclusion that 
you didn't really have any product market fit. Um, so I think that's kind of a risk, right? Is you, you're so concerned with uh, growing that you forget that this is, this is an early space where um, the entire market needs to grow a bit before you're going to see the same sorts of numbers that you would see in other consumer applications. So really being, I think, I think it comes down to being committed to the uh, growth of decentralized apps and excited about that market. If you're not, if you're not really excited about it, you you'll lose faith in, um, you know, when you, when you look at sort of the number of users who are actually uh, using these things. Um, other lessons learned, um, yeah, I think I think willingness to, or I think focus is is a big one. So there are a number of teams um, in the space that are building like all of the different pieces of the NFT world. So you know they're building a marketplace, they're building a game, they're building a wallet, um, and I think my perspective is that will be challenging as time goes on, right? Um, because I think that. Uh, companies that specialize in a specific area of the space will ultimately be more effective uh, at accomplishing their goals, right? So uh, companies uh, that focus specifically on building the best wallet, I think will be very effective. Um, you know, our approach is obviously, we hope to build the best marketplace. Um, companies that focus on building the best, uh, you know, gaming experience, I think will be really effective. Uh, so, so that would be, you know, those, those scenarios have yet to play out. Um, but I worry, um, with some of the companies in the space that there's a lack of that, uh, a lack of that focus. It's, it's definitely early days. And I think we're just at the beginning of, of what's going to be a long and, and fun and interesting ride for a lot of people. Um, I, I want to close this out with one final question that we've been asking projects uh, for a little while now, uh, because it is so early. And, and you did touch on this multiple times through the conversation that, uh, you know, things are prone to change, that we're operating in entirely new value propositions and business models and ways of thinking about the world. So if you were to fast forward five years from now, how is the world different with with OpenSea in the world? Yeah, so I think um, it's hard to say. Um, I, I would say that I I think five years from now, uh, digital economies will become will be a lot more interesting than they are today, and they're already interesting. Don't get me wrong. Um, uh, you know, there's already large scale economies inside of games like Second Life um, and things like that. But I think they'll become even more interesting. So um, what I mean by that is uh, by introducing this this idea of real digital property ownership, um, users will. Uh, become much more active entrepreneurial participants in uh, economies that blur the lines between um, games and like and real economies where real value is being transferred. So uh, to make this a little more concrete, I think if you look at a um, project like Decentraland, which is essentially trying to build this big virtual reality universe where you own land, you can build things on top of your land, uh, and you can, of course, trade uh, trade land, trade NFTs inside the world. Um, that you could imagine that that world, uh, you, you know, 
enterprising individuals in that world, creating things of real value um, and leveraging them to for uh, financial gain and uh, having real jobs inside of these worlds, right? So, um, you know, an early instance of this is there's a guy named DCL Blogger who has basically made his, uh, devotes his full time to virtual real estate uh, market making, right? So he's he sort of values this virtual real estate in Decentraland, buys it up, and then, um, you know, has has some strategies for trading it on the market. Um, you can imagine all sorts of individuals like that who um, are creating businesses inside of these virtual worlds because, you know, for the first time you, you can own these digital assets in a new way. Um, so that's what I'm, that's what I'm kind of excited about is um, these things that start off as games, but ultimately turn into much more because we have all of this financial uh, infrastructure around the assets. So, um, other examples include like taking a loan off of your land, um, or, uh, you know, in the case of, uh, crypto kitties, tokenizing those crypto kitties into a currency and, um, you know, trading them on Uniswap or something like that. Uh, all of those, all of those use cases, I think are, are very exciting. And, um, ultimately I think companies will build superior user experiences, uh, by leveraging this technology, then uh, the existing incumbents like Facebook could build, you know, with just with just the teams that work at those big companies. Absolutely. Devin, this has been an awesome conversation. Super fascinating. And we can't thank you enough for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Fork the Product. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a review or share this podcast with all your crypto friends. See you next time. Thank you.